Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Concussion Talk Podcast. I'm Nick Mercer. And I'm Erin Gilflo. Before we talk to our guest... Barbara O'Connell of API Ireland. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Headcheck Health. Concussion Talk Podcast is presented by Headcheck Health. Headcheck Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. To run organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Headcheck Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadshakeHealth.com for more. So thank you, Barbara and Eva, for getting this organized, helping, helping us get to organize this discussion with the Acquired Brain Ireland. And I'm here with all Eva, who's now silent, and Barbara O'Connell, and Eva Lacey, Lucy. Eva Lucy. Eva Lucy. Eva Lucy. And you don't need to mention me at all. I'll be in the I am now. So no worries. And Aaron Gilbo. And uh, yeah, so so Barbara, you are, you, you could you mention the uh, your title and the name of the organization so we have that and know, you'll know. People know. Okay. Yeah. I'm Barbara O'Connell, and I'm co-founder and chief executive of Acquired Brain Injury Ireland. Great. Well, then I guess we'll get Aaron later to ask you about more about the organization. But first, I'd just like to ask you about just the brain drain island. What is the prevalence of brain drain island? Like, where, where the the ages? What do you, how would you say the age, age and activity, which are the most obvious culprits? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ireland has a, 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 a population of about 4.9 million people. And um, what we have found with, um, I suppose, we, we put traumatic brain injury and acquired brain injury to, like, together. So, um, so if you're separating it out, there's about 11,000 people a year who have a traumatic brain injury. And there's about 9,000 who'd have a stroke. So I suppose our organization would look after both. Um, so you're talking about, you know, that total of, uh, of around 19,000 a year um, would, would suffer an acquired brain injury. Um, and it would happen across the, you know, the country. 
Um, I think our biggest cause is probably road traffic accidents and falls. Um, and then after that, it would be, um, I suppose, the, the acquired brain injury part would be around, you know, people who would have had a stroke or people who would have anoxic brain damage or other causes really, um, which would be very similar to your own country uh, presenting. I think the big, probably the differences would be in the sports injuries, whereby maybe in Canada, you'd have much more to do with hockey. Whereas we would have what we would call Gaelic games, the GAA games. So we would have our own football. Hurling, and, hurling, huh? hurling looks like a vicious sport. Hurling, ball. yes, yeah. Football and hurling would be the two main kind of national games that we would have. And um, that would be where you'd get a lot of more sports concussion um, yeah. arising. Um, which would be kind of similar to your kind of hockey. And we would be as enthusiastic about our Gaelic games as you are about your hockey. <laughs> yeah. Would, you, would, you, would yeah. you say that uh, the trends in Ireland for Braintree are the similar to, I don't know how you, well you know of all of Europe's Braintree, but would you say the trends are relatively the same? Very similar. Very yeah. similar. Yeah, I think it's just the, the type of sport might differ. But um, if you, like we, we don't have a very good database here in Ireland. So an awful lot of the time we extrapolate our figures from the US and from the UK and Canada. So we find we're very similar. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and when people, so the age, age range is about, sorry, is about like the same or? Yeah. What we find is mostly men, predominantly men. Okay. Um, so it's it's still it's still you know th three out of four men to women, um, um, approximately, and the main age group would be the eighteen to thirty five age group, and then yeah. obviously if it's stroke you're looking at it's a little bit older than that. Mm -hmm. You know we would, um, our services in particular we serve people up to age sixty five. Okay, and the youngest is eighteen. 1865. Now saying that because we're the only brain injury services in the country, we have, I suppose what you'd say, piloted projects, you know, yeah. with under 18s, um, simply because we know we can help them, but we're not specifically funded to do so. Um, so we have taken, like we're really advocating for adolescent services at the moment because there aren't any specific brain yeah. injury adolescent services. So that is something, but generally we're funded. We're like, um, again, like yourselves, we're a publicly funded country yeah. uh, health service. So we rely hugely heavily on our, what we would call the health service executive funding. Okay, which actually is a great segue to my next question. So even just, Pediatric and uh, teenagers, yeah. and uh, in adult population, the uh, resources for hospitals and for rehabilitation. What's 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 the situation like in Ireland now for rehabilitation and? Treatment? Yeah, um, I I tell you what, we have one national rehabilitation hospital, which has 110 beds, of which 40 are for brain injury. So we're quite poorly served in terms of our specialist rehabilitation hospital inpatient treatment. They also would have an outpatient uh, department. Some people with brain injury, so there are new two large neurosurgical units, but what happens is that they are, they're national centers. So if you live in the north of the country, like you, you can only go to either Beaumont in Dublin or in Cork, Cork University Hospital. So they are the two places. 
And what ha tends to happen is people either go back then to their regional hospital, or if they're lucky enough, they'll get into the National Rehab Hospital. But many don't. So we don't have a proper pathway. Um, and I, I don't think we're unique in that. I think other countries are finding the same thing. So people will stay in acute hospitals longer um, or they're discharged inappropriately to back to their regional hospitals where they stay there as an inpatient. Um, or some people then, you know, could find themselves in a nursing home because there isn't, you know, they're not able to be discharged home to their families. So we do have people who are inappropriately placed in nursing homes. And I think that's our driving, you know, that's our driving factor to kind of stop that. Um, and there are very little um, in the community services apart from our own. So, and, I, and that sounds pretty bleak. Um, and I suppose what I would say on the other side is the services we have are world-class, you know? So, yeah. so we do have really, really good services. We just don't have enough of them. Um, there is a, a geographical inequality. And I'd say like, like Canada and depends on the province that you're in, probably yeah. dictates what service you're going to get. We yeah. have the same difficulty here um, in that there isn't an equality yet. And that's one of the things I suppose that we strive to try and overcome. Yeah. So those you say would be the main challenges of sort of bringing your patients in Ireland is to, is to just get over the accessibility gap to services or is there yeah. a structure? We also have, our country is divided into nine health areas and each health area have their own way of dealing with um, brain injury right so as a national organization we do have a challenge of trying to deal with nine different you know health systems i think the other thing we discovered is that people have there isn't a high awareness of brain injury so we have come across people who are nearly crying with relief because they kind of thought they were losing their mind or that you know uh, oh, so-and-so has never been the same since his accident, you know, and they've just learned to get along with it. Um, and I think when we've raised the level of education, it's almost like, oh my God, there are so many people who have had a brain injury in the country that we don't know about, who've never had any specialist input. I think there's another educational element where I think our health services don't realize they need to provide specialist care. They seem to think that, well, sure, people are going to get better themselves or else they don't need a specialist or a generic, you know, occupational therapist or physio will do. You don't need a neuro. You don't need somebody with experience. So we've had to do a lot of education around that. Yeah. That it is, people do need a very individualized and very specialist response to their brain injury. Right, right. No, that's definitely, that's yeah. a, and uh, actually. Particularly the walking wounded, Nick, you would know, I'm sure yeah. your own experiences when you look fine, and yeah. you know you're functioning fine but people think what well, what do you you know you, you wouldn't be prioritized in this country for help whereas you yeah. could be seriously struggling you know you could be really disempowered you could be really very disabled um, i do have i do have a general tell from this from just sitting here but i do have a severe limp and balance problems so i think it's a bit more obvious but yes i mean we and i've definitely talked to a bunch of uh yeah well, injury survivors and concussion survivors and stuff and who yeah. Seem to find that same issue that they look fine, but inside they're struggling. So yeah, their memory problems, they fatigue. Yeah. You know, they be. You know, they're they're sometimes impulsive. You know, they yeah. they can't follow directions. They can't problem solve. So they're very vulnerable. Um, and yeah, and it affects them in different ways. So we've had to do a lot of work to try and raise that profile. That just because you don't you look okay doesn't mean you are okay. Do you know. 
which it was again brings to the uh, actually because last year I did a talk of the June in 2019, 2019, it seems ages ago now, but uh, I did a podcast with Megan Adams, who is who is a physiotherapist in Toronto, right? And she's talked about the biopsychosocial, yeah, post energy, and I know that's on your website as a key fat key thing yes. you're looking at, you're trying to do. So, could you talk about that for a second before I turn it over to 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 Aaron to ask about your association to so the biopsychosocial? Yeah, I mean, w- what we find is that um, we have a lot of um, we call them clients, or we tend to, tend to call them lads, but um, that, that that say that they've lost their friends, their intersocial, you know, their social skills. Like if you've had a blow to your front to the frontal lobe, for example, you know that that voice that says "Don't say, don't say that now" doesn't work. So your monitoring system isn't working. So you're being a bit blunt or a bit over the top, or and you, people have lost friends. You know they they can't remember conversations they had. So you get that whole subtle piece is missing, and that actually leaves people really very isolated. Um, and one of our guys would have described it almost as being in a foreign country and not being able to speak the language. You know, they, they just can't find the cues and the signposts to kind of help them interact. And so we would find we would do a lot of work with people around self-monitoring, around that kind of self-awareness, um, and just, I suppose, relearning how to interact in a more positive way than before. And that is actually probably more disabling maybe than, you know, a, like a, a physical problem that somebody might have. Yeah. So uh, that's a, I'll bring it to, uh, to Aaron's questions about how the people can, can um, get, um, go with the, end up in society, fit in, adapt to society. There's just one other thing, Nick, I might just start before I come to you. And it's one of the things that we do is we tend to be very individualized. Yeah. So, so every person with a brain injury is different. So our rehab programs are very specific. So when you talk about psychosocial problems, it could be a mother, for example, who's lost the role of being a mother and all of a sudden everybody's doing everything for her and she's lost her place in the family. Yeah. Or it could be, so, so it depends on the person and the challenges that they have, that the program would be a response to that as opposed to, I, I just don't, we don't believe that a generic, you know, six people in a room talking about psychosocial yeah. problems is necessarily as helpful as somebody actually having on-site or personalized um, approaches given to them about how to deal with specific problems. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It sounds a lot like your, uh, like in Ireland has a lot of the same problems and issues that we experience right. here okay. in terms of that gap of service where you're not getting community rehabilitation it's like you go from the hospital or home or long-term yeah. care home and that's about it which has really been the driving force for our own association here the newfoundland labrador brain injury association right. so i'm wondering right. how yours got started then the background of when and why you set up i read a little bit about how you were occupational therapy yeah. manager, and that kind of inspired you and so I have a brother who had a brain injury at uh, 23 and he had finished his legal studies and he was knocked off a motorbike um, by a driver coming out of a side road. And that I suppose, and then he had a further accident later on in his life. He had two very serious brain injuries. So I suppose and my background is an occupational therapist and I went to work in the National Rehabilitation Hospital for a number of years 
and they gave me this job. It was at the time in 1996. This is how new we are. They said to me, um, Barbara, we think people still have problems when they leave hospital with brain injury. <laughs> you know, do you think you could do something? And, um, and like, that's how kind of new it was. Um, so my job at that time was to bridge hospital and home. And what I discovered was there was nothing. There were no supports there. And so when my brother then had a relapse, he, he, um, he, he had a further stroke and he was in a nursing home. Now he was perfectly physically fit and self-caring, but had memory problems. Um, so they put him in the dementia unit, which was locked, obviously, for secure reasons. Um, and he'd be in there at the age of 40. So that's what motivated myself and my husband to set up uh, what's now known as Acquired Brain Injury Ireland. Um, and he, what we did was we got a house in the community and we had himself and two others with a brain injury who were in hospital um, taking up a bed space not supposed to be there and appropriately placed. And we tried the first, that was the first assisted living place in Ireland at the time. So that's 21 years ago now. It's um, incredible. Yeah. yeah, and that was the start of it. And um, I suppose I just knew there was nothing else. And then what happened was the hospital came to us and said that there was a woman who wanted to take her husband home. Again, he was in his uh, late 40s. And the only other option was a nursing home, but she could take him home if we did something during the day. So that started our in-home rehabilitation programs. And we had such success with them, which as, when you know brain injury, you know, you know you can have success because if you give people the right interventions, they can do really well. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of success drove it then. The HSE, our, our health service came back to us and said, well, we'd like you to do you know, some more over here. So over the years, we now have 16 residential services across the country we have in-home rehabilitation assistants who go into people's homes. So either on discharge from hospital or if, we, if they come to our attention in terms of they've been discharged and then they come to us. Um, and all of them are overseen by a clinical team. So we would have neuropsychology, occupational therapy, um, social work, and we, we get in physio and speech and language therapy as we need them. Um, we're, we're, you know, so... That would be what we would provide. And then we have, um, so that then went on to, we have a case management. What we decided was people would go into hospital and then we'd never hear of them again. They'd go home and nobody would track them. Nobody would know where they were. And only would you hear if there was an emergency or, or sometimes families had to take the health service to court to try and get services. So our case managers are now the one point of contact. So, which is great. We're, we don't have them everywhere. But we have nine of them across the country. Do you, do you find that a lot of your cases come from rural areas and that would be a sticking point to have this case manager there as well just to yes, keep that yes. in contact? Yeah. And often it's families, you know, having to get to know this person again. And so, so something happens at home and they don't know how to deal with it and they've nobody to ring mm -hmm. to, to, to ask. So a lot of the case manager's job is support and training for families. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's another piece of the, of the services. And I think, I suppose that has led, led, me, led us on now to the family support service that we offer. Um, and if there's anything positive has come out of COVID, it's this. Mm. Because often rural families don't want to come into groups to sit and to train. They don't really yeah. want, you know, they don't even want their neighbours to know their business. Really, I don't know if you've, if you've experienced that, but... When you live in a small town or a small place, you, you know, you're fairly private. 
So what has happened with the online, with COVID, is people are really happy to come on to a Zoom mm -hmm. and they can listen. They don't have to speak, but they feel they're part of another group. They feel... Yeah, they it can it. certainly give that sense of anon like being anonymous, but still being part of community. Yes. Yeah. I, think, I, I think that's why the, the, the concussion, the Montreal McGill group works so well, because all those people can just come on and just listen to yeah. other people. A lot of our support groups have really taken off in that sense. Um, the, and I suppose also, if you live with a loved one who has a brain injury, you have to get someone in to sit with them or to take care while you go off to a support network, whereas this way they, they don't have to. Um, and the other thing we found was that we're offering a lot of our services now online because the, the guys themselves are saying, um, I don't have to travel. I'm not so tired. I'm very focused because, you know, the, the whole idea of distractions and trying to keep concentration and that, that they find they can concentrate better. Um, so I, I know it sounds terrible, but a good thing has come out of rehab services for us because we're now delivering a lot of rehab online, um, particularly to that group who don't have huge physical um, kind of challenges. The other piece then that we've developed is that in this country, we had a lot of day centers for generally people who are with a disability. So there would be a lot of people maybe born with a disability or maybe you know wheelchair users or that. And I found that the group that we worked with didn't want to be part of that. And for a couple of reasons, the old concentration span isn't, isn't these, you know, so they become disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can't remember the class they did last week. So, well, you know, you can't have a continuity of a class. These are people who've lived a life and don't want to be told necessarily what to do either. Mm -hmm. um, but what they do love is being part, meeting other people who've also had a brain injury. You know, being motivated, you know, linking with each other, um, having kind of peer support. So we developed a different type of day resource center that they run. So we would have paid staff, but their job is to support the guys to run their own service. And that's been hugely successful. So they, they have to run the budget, they have to make sure it's clean, they have to make sure that who the men. So I don't know if you're familiar with the clubhouse model, but it's based on the clubhouse model for brain injury. So wow. they love that's such that. empowerment. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's our ethos is, um, and I, I actually, you know, I, I actually, if I could read your mission statement, because it kind of sums it up. So sure. we passionately serve and relentlessly advocate to empower and support people impacted by brain injury to rebuild their lives. And I suppose I would believe very strongly that I would want someone to empower me if, if it was me. Um, and the staff are trained for choice. That's one of our values. Um, they're, they're trained to empower people to do as much as they can for themselves. So it is hilarious. You go into the day resource center and it's not like any other. So you have people with all their foibles and people who can concentrate and people who can't, and they decide themselves. Um, and sometimes decisions have to be assisted because I, I have seen hours go by and they haven't decided what they want to go to see <laughs> in the cinema. <laughs> Decision making is a challenge. But it's their decision making. Um, so that would be how we would, you know, in our training with staff, it would be to make sure that these people are guiding and leading their own lives um, the way you or I would want it to be if we were in that position. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. That's amazing. Yeah, I have heard about that model, but I've never seen it in practice. So it's so nice to hear about. Yeah. Um, It's certainly a group where you want to be encouraging and have that support. But I find sometimes we want to control everything and have those specialized plans. But it's like, no, anyone can make their own plan. And that's the point. It's like we need to empower them to do that. They often end up doing the same activities. I mean, they do yoga and they do you know, they do different classes and they do cooking and everything, but they choose to do it and they choose what it is they're going to cook and they're part of the whole. And I just think, yeah, I, I think that's, and they also um, self-regulate, they regulate each other. So mm. if you have somebody who keeps interrupting, for example, and there's always that person, maybe with a more severe brain injury, the others will tell him, would you ever, sh- you know, would you ever shut up? Like, <laughs> like there's no, there's no filter. And that's the other thing they love. Like you go in there and there's absolutely no filter. Like nobody has a filter, but none of them do. So it's accept. It's a very acceptable, safe place to be. Whereas yeah. in other centers, they get into fierce trouble because, you know, there's bad language and they're, you know, they can't, and sometimes people can't even help that. It just comes out spontaneously. But that, that doesn't always go down well in other centers where people don't understand or don't have those kind of cognitive problems. Um, so yeah, it has worked. It, 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 they look like, and I suppose we would then welcome people to come in and talk. Um, they like people coming in to talk about their experiences and everything. So it's not us talking about, sorry, I, I, I don't like the us and them, but it, those with brain injury, like people have come into our service and go, I don't know who's the staff. I don't, we don't know who the brain injury people are. And we go, no, that's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> that can be threatening for people. You know, it's like, but where's the staff member? Well, you know, 
like they're not you can't they're not easy identifiable and that's part of our i suppose our ethos that we're all yeah. equals you know but just we have skills that need to help you we, you know you know use yours better you know exactly yeah. yeah that seems to cover a lot of your services that you guys currently have um how does your organization operate there is it funded by the government is it funded as a nonprofit? and are you accredited to do these services within different areas yeah so how it works is that um we're funded about 92 percent um by the hse which would be our health service executive how it's grown over the years um if i'm really honest is that there's been people who have difficulties in the areas that are that are seen as probably a problem and we've gone in and and worked with these people and then they have contracted us so we provide the services on behalf of the hse because we have the expertise um, and each area contract their services separately each of the nine areas so we would have like nine service agreements with each of those nine areas and um and we would get some central funding for our central core so our hate human resources you know our finance whatever it is a non-profit um we have charitable status um but so our fund we do fundraise and all of the fundraising money goes directly to providing as you know health state bodies don't provide for all the extra things you need mm -hmm. um so that's um so that's what we use it for directly like literally all of the fundraising goes directly for either materials or you know vehicles or things that the houses need and that's how we kind of manage those extra bits really um so we have to lobby and we have to keep going back to educate our health service executive on what's needed because we find that we've got big long waiting lists um and people are having accidents every day so so it's not like a different population maybe of people who maybe you can predict like with spinal cord injuries in this country we can predict how many kind of you're going to have every year but obviously with brain injury you can't so you're working on that kind of um and need-led kind of service you know um or demand-led um, that's kind of how we type of results so we're kind of advocating all of the time for more services mm. And in that sense, like, how do you hope to grow as well? Like, what are your future goals, I would say? Yeah, um, I think it's, well, I think it's going to be difficult because a lot of money has now gone on, you know, COVID and vaccinations and that, and we're going to be, we also compete here with intellectual disability services. Mm -hmm. So we would have an aging population of people who may be heretofore looked after by parents at home with, we would call intellectual disability would be I don't know if you call it learning disability, but um, these would be people who would be born, you know, in terms of developmentally. So they're aging parents and they need residential. So we do compete in, in this country with that pot of money. And that's a challenge for us. Mm -hmm. So in terms of um, development, our plan at the moment is on a number of fronts. So one of the things I haven't mentioned is our policy and research piece that we are um we reach out internationally so at the moment we're partnering with ibia and we we were supposed we were supposed to come to dublin we were hoping all these people were going to come to dublin um but we're going to have a virtual conference this year now um, in july july 28th um and we have a lot of research 
projects going on with the local universities. So we're looking at the um, etiology, the, um, the figures around, um, you know, who are these people with brain injury, where are they? So there's a couple of really good high level research projects going on. So that's one of the things that we have pushed across like really strongly. The other piece we do is education and training. So there are lots of people in nursing homes and you, you'd find this the same who don't know anything about brain injury. So they ring us, you know, they're ringing you up going, can you run a training program? Can you? So we do, we have developed that end as well. And in terms of services, what seems to be happening now is that some of our areas are seeing what other areas have. <laughs> so if we're well developed in some areas, now what we're seeing is, oh, we would like a service there. So our next, in our next 12 months, um, we're developing a whole new residential service with a whole new clinical team down in Kerry, for example, which, um, which is brand new. And that's like really exciting. So it tends to be, and it tends to be around maybe somebody who's had no services, who desperately needs services, who's costing the HSE lots and lots of money. And we're coming in going, well, for that amount of money, we can not only look after your person, but we can look after five or six more people. Plus we can put in a community service for you. And they're kind of going, really? And like, that's the kind of education stuff we have to, so we have done some research on cost benefit um, of rehab. Like, does it make any difference? Um, so we do, we're, as part of our CARF accreditation, are you familiar with CARF? We're, all of our services are CARF accreditation. I think in Canada, a lot of your services, your brain injury services are also accredited by the same body. So it's the Commission for Accreditation of Rehab Facilities. So we have them all, and part of that is we measure the outcomes. So anybody coming into our service, you're, it, there's a measurement at time, six months to see, see basically, do we make any difference to your life at all? Like, like, and that's great for us to know that we have made a difference, but also it helps when you're advocating for funding, you know? Um, so we're able to say things like 50% of our residents have gone to live on their own, do you know, um, after a maximum of two years. Like that's very powerful when they're going to give you funding because it's like, well, that makes an awful lot of sense because they were in a nursing home where we were going to have to pay for them for years. Now they're in the community and what we had to pay for was a two, up maybe up to two years or 18 months in a residential facility. So I think the key that we have found is to research what you're doing, measure what you're doing with proper you know, outcomes and then be able to present a really good case to your health service. Um, and that's really the approach we've, we've decided to take. So we have a number of services in the pipeline now starting up probably at the end of this, end of this year, uh, quarter three of this year. Um, yeah, so it's, it's almost like, um, I suppose I feel really passionate about brain injury. I feel that it's a group of people that are forgotten. Um, we would call them like a silent epidemic. I, I actually love the individuals. I think they're just a great, fabulous group of people to work with. Um, I suppose we're all really committed to try and raise awareness. It takes a long time, um, but it, it's, like, it's really important and it's really worthwhile. And I think that's, we'll continue to do that. We'll do it at a political level. Um, I mean, you're probably the same. We would approach political leaders mm -hmm. around it, um, try and change policy um yeah but it isn't a quick fix it's it's uh it it takes time it's like the dripping tap you know 
Certainly so. And um, was there any national research partnerships you currently have within Ireland as well? Yeah, no, just for, for that I'll refer to my notes because I, we, that's the ones that we are doing with, um, with uh, the universities. Oh, okay, yeah, because you mentioned internationally and kind of how that communication is, but within your own space. Yes. Yeah, um, so we, there is one other organization that we work with called Headway, it's a smaller mm -hmm. organization whose focus is on vocational rehab, um, which is one of the services we, so they would provide like a two-year course for people who want to get back into employment. What we would do is we would do the assessments. So we use the Valpar assessments um, to work with people to see where exactly. Very, the what assessments? They're called Valpar assessments, B-A-L-P-A-R. And they're fabulous because they're an objective measure of somebody's um, challenges. So it could be anything from an electrician who can't, doesn't have the manual dexterity to wire a plug, for example, to how long you can stand, to what your level of concentration is. And then it's matched to the job that you would have done before. So if you were an electrician or if you were even a truck driver or a teacher or whatever, it would measure you against what you would need to be a teacher. So you need to be able to stand for a certain period of time, you need to be able to concentrate, you need to be able to write reports, you know. So these would be assessments that would be able to say to you, look, here is what the norm would be and here's where you are. And it helps the person understand where their weaknesses are but it also helps them to go, okay, so where are my strengths, which is more important? <laughs> and what job could I do? You know, and often people can do lots of jobs if maybe there's prompting put in place or there's structure put in place or they're taught how to know when they're tired. Like we've had people lose jobs because they told the boss to, to get lost inappropriately, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they were overtired, you know? Um, so it's that kind of... So the partnerships that we have is with the Global Brain Health Institute, which is in Trinity College. And that's really looking at the economics of brain health. That was the piece I, I talked to you about. Um, is it value for money? It's rehabilitation. I've actually, I've just, uh, I've, I've been in contact with uh, Ocean, I'm not sure his last name now, but you get Trinity College with the neuroscience. Right. And concussion and brain injury. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure yeah. if the students that are not, but... Uh, we work, we, we work with the um, people who are doing the economics. They do a lot of function too around um, living well with um, dementia and stroke. What we were particularly interested in was how do we prove that it's value for money? Like, why, why, do, why would you bother, you know, providing intervention for people with brain injury if it's going to cost you a lot of money? Because rehab does cost a lot of money. So we engaged with them around... That. but there are other synergies there too in that we learn a lot from them and then we we would allow them access to our with obviously with our clients permission um, they would do a lot of research then with us um, the other thing we're doing is with Dublin City University which is looking at pathways through rehabilitation so I think that's what I was talking to you about sometimes you can go from acute to home you can go from acute to the you know to post-acute to so it's looking at what are those pathways for people? Where are people going? Um, what are the challenges they're facing? Because we need that too to advocate because, because we don't have, so we, and I have to say, when you do it with the university, it has huge weight, you know, 
and and the academics do such a good job in terms of making sure that their evidence stacks up um, so that's been fantastic and then we would have um, our own national conference which actually you know is now because it's online and virtual it's open to anybody but it's called brain power so what we did was we set up a network um, so so with northern ireland as well which is actually belonging to the uk but we've really good links with them and mm -hmm. i would have gone up and done some stuff with them advice and stuff and liaise with them so we want and there's lots of smaller people groups doing little bits of research and research on carers and research on families so we decided that we would pull it, pull it, P-O-O-L, <laughs> pull it, I'm doing my accent. <laughs> we would pull our resources um, together. And so we've decided, we, we set up a research network. So ABI Ireland has set up a research network and then we have our conference every year. And that's been fantastic because it brings in people from the acute hospital. So we would have a neurosurgeon who's done research on A&E, you know, who's presenting. So he's able to say that our cyclists are there are the most um, highest group that present at A&E with concussion. You know, things like things that we wouldn't have known or wouldn't have been shared before. Um, and we would have the National Rehabilitation Hospital involved and any other group, uh, North and South together. Um, and we share once a year. And that's been truly powerful because as you know yourself at conferences, people talk to each other over coffee. You know, people link up. Um, so, and so there's lots of other networking then going on outside that. Um, and I don't know, but the brain injury world is quite small. Like it is quite small in a sense. You do kind of get to know people. Um, I personally have done a lot of presentations at um, both IBIA, but also at the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine, the ACRM, um, um, which has held in Toronto. Um, so I've been there. Um, and that has allowed me and our organization profile ourselves, but also learn from, you know, the best that's out there um, in terms of research. So, so, and because we're part of CARF network, we're, we're at, as I said, we're, we implement the standards that, that other brain injury services do, but it also gives me a network to make sure that we're benchmarking properly what we do. So yeah, I'd be very proud of that. I'm very proud mm -hmm. of the staff and the work they do there. You know? <laughs> So, yeah, no, there's lots of differences, but there's more similarities I find in the sense of passion to help and yeah. also just wanting to connect and we can learn so much from each other. And that's amazing that there's so many national research partnerships within there. It's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found it amazing. I was, um, I'm a surveyor for CARF, so I would go and, and I've done it in the States and it's people are the same, like the challenges are the same, people are the same different accent, uh, different background, but very, very similar. And, yeah. uh, At our core, we're all just human beings and a lot of our struggles do line up, whether you're in one spot or the other. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of the people, at least in Ireland though, where would they be able to access your services? Where would they be able to access? Yeah, would they go online a call or is there, usually a spot pretty much in every location they would be able to go to yes so our biggest source is obviously the website mm -hmm. uh, which obviously is www.abiireland.ie and people can ring directly to the national office as well um, but but the other main access point for a referral would be through their gp 
um, your general practitioner or social worker um, because we would gather a lot of medical information about people so we would need to get their consent they'd need to fill in the referral form and that referral form would be looking at some of their history in terms of their medical history um, so so it tends to go through the medical um, link is the best link which is your general practitioner but the form is there to uh, download online um, and obviously then we have to get consent from people to be able to to look at their information. What happens then is the, the neuropsychologists, we have a number of neuro, clinical neuropsychology um, psychologists in the organization and they would then review um, their request and see if it's appropriate or not, or what would be the, generally it's always appropriate, but it's what, you know, sometimes people tick every service, you know, <laughs> can I do everything? And often they don't need everything. Often sometimes they may only need a one-to-one -one with a psychologist, you know what I mean? um so but because you know they don't know what they need um there, there is that kind of filtering process that goes on and then if we have to get funding for someone so say it's for residential we will then have to go back to our health service executive and lobby for funding for that person to get a service so we work hand in glove with the hse really around people and if they're not aware of them we'll make them aware of them and we'll also be encouraging people to go to their local hse disability manager and ask for services, you know. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Nick, did you have any additional questions? I had no additional questions. I didn't ask you about the, uh, about Europe, about the connections with Europe, because you're talking about conferences and stuff, but I think you guys cover that well in your <laughs> yeah. about I suppose if anybody wants to join in our, our research, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in, in just popping in to see what's happening in Ireland, you know, do do join up and you can register on the website um, to join in because the more of us together that are sharing what yeah. we know, I think the better, really. I think so. So I, I would just say, just could you just note your website again and uh, your, I don't know if you have a phone or that's accessible to all or if you have different phone numbers from different regions, but uh, your website and uh, any that are important, like say social media accounts that you'd like to note that people should know about. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So, our, so um, the other, I, I, I suppose, the other question thing is, I'm just thinking, you know, if for every, we have, we have the nine different CHO areas, but every, we've all, all also got like 26 counties. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, um, there is a contact person for, a different region so people are not necessarily ringing the central national office there are local offices in the region that they can pop into i meant to say that they can pop in and say well not so much with covid but generally normally um we are on facebook and we are on instagram and twitter and we're on linkedin people as well so you you know we can be contacted on all of our platforms okay. um, yeah and we love to hear from people you know um, yes. The bigger the family, the better. I yeah. think that's that's. Yeah, impressive. I'm really honoured today to be talking to you. It's lovely, oh, and it's lovely to connect across the countries. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, we're so much in common. We're just yeah. across the ocean, so we're, we're immediately across the ocean for you. So yeah. just the Atlantic, just the Atlantic separates us. It's not the, yeah. there's no land between us yeah. and you, except for <laughs> the west of Ireland. But uh, 
But thank you so much, Barbara. This has been amazing. It's been so incredible just to hear the services and everything there and just be reminded, I guess, of our similarities and those struggles and yeah. the fight to go forward with it. Yeah. So, there are you. days when you get very down and you just think, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And what happens to me in those situations is I meet, I, I go to the day center and I meet people and then you kind of go, yeah. That's why we're doing it, you know, so that people can get their lives back. You know, that's that's the bit. I think that's the only motivating factor, sort of, for me. Yeah. Um, but it is a struggle, um, no doubt. Yeah, I'm hoping actually next week we're seeing about Europe and next or well, not next week necessarily, but sometime soon. Talk to a a woman from uh, from Amsterdam who is started the Justin community in Amsterdam or just online, really. So uh, again, reaching across. Reach across the Atlantic yeah. on, uh, I don't know when, but sometime soon this month, I'm sure. I, I think the work you're doing is great, Nick. I really do. And Aaron, I think what you're doing is brilliant because it just, it, it, you know, the more we open it up and the more we talk about it, the, you know, the more I think we share and the more we grow and we feel, we don't feel alone so much then. Exactly. You know, so I think what you're doing is brilliant. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you so much, Barbara O'Connell and Eva Lucy of ABI Ireland. Music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.